We are looking today at the subject of generosity, God's unique way of blessing us. The Bible has many texts on this subject. We have read some of them from our bulletin today, printed for our convenience. I would have you note Luke 6.38 and 2 Corinthians 9.6. If you give, you will get. That's not the reason for our giving, but it is the way it works. And remember this, if you give a little, you will get little. That's God's word. There are more verses in the Bible on the subject of stewardship, giving, and money than there are on heaven or hell. God's interested in it. I am the Lord thy God which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Isaiah 48, 17 says. Another great verse is Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What a promise. The lions will, but they who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 122, verse 6, they shall prosper that love thee. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, Malachi 3.10 says, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That is a little insight into the heart of Almighty God. Life for all of us has its times of success and its times of failure. But the great teachings of Scripture share with us the truth that if we submit to the will of God, love and serve other people, give to God, give to His church, give to the Lord Jesus Christ, treat everybody honestly, there is let loose into our lives the operation of this wonderful law of prosperity, God's unique way of blessing us. I am come, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that they might have life and that they might have it in a very small measure. You are awake, some of you. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it like a little trickle during the dry season. No? I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Oh, you're reading the same Bible now I'm reading. That is God's heart. That is His will. The impoverished attitudes of people keep them from God's bountiful supply. Have you ever linked together the word scarcity and the word scare? They are from the same root. The word scarcity and scare are closely linked. 
People who live in fear of life and of themselves scare prosperity away. When you get God into your life and you live according to John 10.10 and all of these other scriptures, you release the hands of God to open the windows of your life and pour you out blessing that you cannot contain. That's God's unique way. I want to break my message into two parts today, the first being titled, The Law of Supply. Luke 6.38 is on the back of your bulletin, Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and what? Running over shall men give into your bosom. Men shall give into your bosom, led by God to give to you. I want to tell you a story of a church, a church that was in terrible shape, paint peeling off, grounds in bad need of repair, not enough money to plant grass seed and fix up the lawn, hymn books torn and tattered in the rack, plaster breaking loose from the ceiling. In fact, there were great empty places where it had already fallen off. The minister held a meeting to challenge the members and all in the community to the need of the church. He invited a certain rich man in the community to the meeting, hoping that he would be impressed to share in the need of the church. Now in this meeting where the rich man was seated, the minister was eloquent as he presented the need as ministers can get. Others in the congregation added their voice and told of the struggle the church was having to meet all the bills and carry the program. Some responded generously, but no word came from the rich man. Finally, the minister resorted to prayer. Let us pray, he said, looking directly at this one man. But before we pray together, let each person look into his own heart and ask God for guidance. Silently, the minister was praying that God would melt the hearts of all the people. Well, the Lord accommodated him because just then, an enormous piece of plaster fell from the ceiling directly onto the head of the well-to-do man from the town. He leaped to his feet when the plaster hit him in the head and shouted, I'll give $2,000. <laughs> Silently, the minister kept praying, Hit him again, Lord, hit him again. <laughs> it's amazing what starts the law of supply. I wish the Lord would hit us today not by plaster, but by a great knowledge of what we can do in our own lives by the law of supply. There are two areas in the law of supply that we need to examine. One is that God has promised our daily needs would be supplied. Now we come to Matthew 6. I asked you to open to it a while ago. The last two verses of Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for the things of itself. 
Now, Jesus was speaking in that Sermon on the Mount, giving to us God's plan. His plan being your daily needs will be supplied. We need to read and reread Matthew 6, 25, through the end of the chapter. Jesus said, take no thought, be not anxious for life, or what is needed to sustain it. This does not encourage laziness, nor does it encourage carelessness. He was simply teaching us not to be overly anxious about such things as food, drink, and clothing. Jesus said, is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Jesus meant that God who provided life would provide the food to sustain it. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that logical? That the God who put us here would commit himself to taking care of us? God who provided a body would provide the clothes to keep it covered and warm and protected. The God who gave us stomachs would provide food to fill them in their time of need. The greater miracle of life presupposes the smaller miracle of provision. The greatest miracle is that God created us. The smaller miracle is that God daily will provide for us. And anywhere in this world where this principle is believed from the scripture, I will show you people who are fed, people who are clothed, and people who are receiving the bountiful measures of God. I don't care if it's in India or Africa or any other part of the world where this principle is believed, where it is taught, and people will live by it. They have food to eat. They have clothing to wear. They are provided for by Almighty God. Jesus turned to nature to illustrate the truth. Birds do not sow, he said. Birds do not reap. Birds do not store up grain, and yet they daily find enough to sustain them. When I got older, and in my school progress, I found out that some birds eat every day their weight in food. I understood this a little better. True. Some birds eat their weight in food every day, and God says they don't worry about where it's coming from. They don't worry where they're going to get their daily food or who is going to sustain them. Are you not better than the birds? Are you not better than the lilies of the field which toil and spin? Are you not much better than all of these things that you see around you? You're more important, he says, in God's eyes than all of the other things that he has made. So you can count on God's daily provision. One of the stories in the Gospels illustrate this too. Every writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the incident of the feeding of the 5,000. Interesting because this doesn't happen very often. Not often do or does every writer of the gospel record the same story. 
They were led to record different things. They saw things differently as individuals. But in this instance, all four of them recorded the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You have to ask why. Because these disciples were impressed with how the Lord had ability to feed the multitude with so little. That impressed them. Five loaves, two fishes, all that he had. But when they distributed that food, it fed 5,000 people and probably three times that many because the record is 5,000 men and they must have had their wives and they must have had at least a child with them and probably more. So with five loaves and two fish, one stinky little boy's lunch, he fed thousands on the hillside that day and it was good and they had a basket full left over one for each of the disciples who carried the leftovers home for their family hallelujah does that teach you anything god said our god is able to supply all your needs you believe that? Daily needs supply. Now the second area is perhaps more important than the first. And that is under supply that God says your eternal treasures will be awaiting you. Money given to God, motivated by love, is put to our account in heaven. How does your account look? You get those monthly statements from the bank just as we do. How does your account look in heaven? Money given to God, motivated by love, is put to our account in heaven. I have said from this pulpit many times at offering time, the only money you will ever see again is what you give to God because it goes ahead and has eternal reward. All else perishes and turns to dust. That is the law of supply. God says, you give to me, and there will be eternal reward, eternal benefit, eternal blessing. You send it on ahead. If you gave this morning, that has been written down on your page in the ledger of God, and it will be remembered for eternity. If ye then, be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. What is the key? in that passage in Colossians, the third chapter, to remember that we're all going to appear before the Lord. Therefore, set your affections on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. The things of this earth will perish. The things of this earth change, but the things that are eternal will never perish and never change. And what are we doing for eternity? This week, I received a letter from my missionary friend, Richard Ellis, in Argentina. I hold it in my hand. Clipped to this letter, just exactly as you see it, was a bill from Argentina with a 
in the left-hand corner and the right-hand corner. I thought, my goodness, he has sent me $1,000. I'm usually sending money to him. What's this all about? He first thanked me for the cassette tapes of our ministry and wondered if he could get one of these little books I've been talking about with all these messages. And then he went into why this bill was attached to the letter. It was interesting. He said that Argentina is world champ in inflation. He said the enclosed 1,000 peso bill was worth about $740 when we first came to Argentina 20 years ago. $740 right there. But before you mug me, let me go on. We returned three years ago for this term, and this same $1,000 peso bill was worth $5. That was three years ago. His letter is dated June 10th. He said, today, that bill is worth one cent. One cent. Don't mug me. It's not worth it. $740 to one cent. I said, thank you, Lord, for that little illustration. Because that is exactly the way things are on earth. And yet, how much time have all of us spent this week to gain, get ahead, pile up? How much time have we spent trying to take care of our needs? And how little time on the second phase of God's supply, eternal treasure? Just think about it a moment. When those $1,000 bills will turn to nothing, they're not worth the ink that's putting the figures on the paper. Exactly the way life is. Fleeting, passing, changing. That's why God put into his economy this unique way of blessing us that if you give to me, if you're generous, if you refuse to be stingy, if you support my work on earth, then you will have treasure in heaven and moth cannot get through and destroy it. Thieves will never be able to steal it. It is an eternal reward. You will be blessed and benefited from that treasure forever. And that, my dear friends, needs to get through to us in a materialistic society such as we have here in the United States. Are you sending treasure ahead? How do you do that? You buy pews. You help build buildings like our building and support missionaries like the Lamar Treadwells and others. You give to God's work. It's giving through the church to Jesus Christ, and it has eternal reward. God doesn't give us the option to sit around and criticize because we don't like the color of the wood, or we don't like the height of the building, or whatever. That's not our option. If the Holy Spirit is guiding us as a people, if he's leading us as a church, our attitude should be, praise 
God, look what I am able to involve myself in. I'm going to put more on my heavenly account than ever before. It will win souls here. It will bless people here. It will feed people here. It will bring radio messages to people here and television messages to people here. But beside that, it will last forever because it goes to heaven before me. Hallelujah. That's better than anything this world can boast of. That's better than anything Alex Brown can tell you, or Lloyd's Bank, or Security Pacific, or any other organization that handles money. As much as we need them, this is God's unique way of blessing us. Second major point. If it's going to happen, we have to have honesty in our affairs. God bases his blessing upon honesty. A review of New Testament incidents can help, and particularly one, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, two believers, sold their property in order to make a gift to the Lord. As they were counting the proceeds and preparing their gift, they were struck with an idea. It's the same kind of an idea that men are struck with when making out their income tax or preparing their offering for the church. They decided to hold back part of the gift and pretend they were giving it all. No one would ever know. The IRS wouldn't know. Pastor Peter wouldn't know. Gathering up the balance, they brought their gift to the Apostle Peter. Immediately, he discerned their fraud. Why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. I want to zero in on one thing, Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira. Why has Satan filled your heart? You see, when you come to make out your weekly gift to God, Satan wants to fill your heart. So you give less than what you know God requires. When you fill out your income tax, and it's so common these days that men try to adjust the figures for their benefit, the enemy puts in your heart, oh, do this and say this. No one will ever know. You'll get by with it. What am I talking about? Honesty. Honesty before God. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead at the feet of the apostle because of their dishonesty. What if this would happen in the church today? I declare the funeral homes in a given city couldn't handle the dead. True. Serious. All churches, if this would happen, if this would be God's method, thank God it isn't his method all the time. It was an example to all of us. But if it was his method today, would you be alive in this moment? If a believer cannot be trusted with money, then he cannot be trusted with the true riches of God. You see, there is a unique connection between your honesty with God in financial matters and what God is able to do with you in a spiritual sense. Maybe you're saying, I wish I could be healed. I wish I could receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I wish my loved ones were saved. Are your finances in order? Is your generosity working? Because God is restricted in his blessing according to our honesty. It's a biblical premise. True riches demand understanding God's word. True riches have to do with spiritual power, wisdom, ability to help in the Lord's work. Those are true riches. 
And we don't specialize in them enough. We minor in them rather than making them our major. God will not be any man's debtor. When you do business right, when you tithe, when you have gone into business with God, when you are honest, this is his promise. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Does heaven have any supply? You better believe it does. The result of Ananias and Sapphira's dishonesty was great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. That's the plaster falling from heaven, hitting us on the head, waking us up, that this is God's unique way of blessing us. A man's attitude toward money has always been a key to his character. My time is about up. Let me tell you a story, a true story of a man by the name of James Hall. That name is connected with Mutiny on the Bounty because he wrote it, and Pitcairn's Island, which he wrote, and many other wonderful works, James M. Hall. In an article in Atlantic Monthly, Mr. Hall told of his experience following the First World War when he went to Tahiti to begin writing and recover from nervous shock from the war. Months passed, and he had made but little progress in gaining recognition as an author. There came a day when his financial resources were at a very low ebb. He had five dollars in his possession, some total of everything he had. About that time, a friend in America had sent him a collection of seeds worth about one dollar. At first, he was disposed to sell them. Then he remembered a friendly Chinese by the name of Hop Singh, and he decided to make a gift of the seeds to Hop Singh. Hop Singh was more than pleased. So the next day, he brought to Mr. Hall a hen and some eggs as a return present. Mr. Hall ate some of the eggs, which he needed, and set the hen on the other eggs, and soon he had some chickens. And so those chickens helped to further provide for his needs, you might understand, through eggs and meat. A day or two later, Mr. Hall met a relative of Hop Singh's who had heard of the gift of the seeds that Mr. Hall had given to Mr. Singh. The relative of Mr. Singh was so impressed with his generosity, he gave to Mr. Hall a two-pound box of chocolates. Thereafter, Mr. Hall went to his little place where he was renting, and he gave the chocolates to the landlord's children. The landlord, the owner of his property, was so deeply touched by the gift that came to his children that he kept Mr. Hall supplied with all the fresh fruits and vegetables he could use. Mr. Hall discovered to his literal amazement that the gift of the seeds worth one dollar had come back in such abundance that all of his needs were supplied. That's not all. A few months later, money arrived by which Mr. Hall could return to America. All of these months, his needs were supplied as a result of the seeds. When Hop Singh came to bid him farewell at the dock, when Mr. Hall was sailing for America, he brought him two dozen ears of corn as a parting gift, his dear friend from America. What do you do with two ears or two dozen ears of corn on a ship crossing the ocean? He gave them to the chef 
to be cooked for dinner that night. The chef fixed them. On board ship was a prominent English gentleman who suffered from a dietary disease. The corn was the exact thing he needed for his restricted menu. And they had none on board ship until Mr. Hall walked on board with two dozen ears of corn. After dinner, and this prominent English gentleman enjoyed the corn, he learned where it came from, and he asked that he might eat with Mr. Hall. He did. Mr. Hall learned that this Englishman was a prominent publisher from England. As they struck up a friendship, the Englishman looked at some of the work of James Hall, paid $600 for some of the work that he read, and when Mr. Hall got back to America, his career was launched by one dollar's worth of seed. He kept giving and giving and giving, and God kept giving back. And as somebody said, God's shovel is bigger than yours. What a story. True story. It is exactly what I believe the Bible teaches us, that simple gift to a Chinese by the name of Hop Singh kept him alive and launched his career as an author and a writer. In New York City recently, a taxi driver, when he let out a passenger, found the billfold on the seat. And he opened it and found $300 inside and knew that he had to find his passenger and he looked for hours to locate this man who had left the billfold accidentally in the cab. After many hours of searching, he found him. He handed him the billfold. The man looked inside and found the $300 intact. With a surprise glare at the taxi driver, he turned and walked away. A friend hearing of it said, you must have been very angry that he did not give you a reward. He said, well, I was not angry that he did not give me a reward, but I was angry and disappointed that he did not say thank you. I wonder how God feels today if it isn't a little bit like that taxi driver. When he gives us air to breathe, when he clothes us and feeds us and does so many beautiful things for us, but we keep slapping him in the face as we stick it in our pocket and invest it in our life and don't help win the world to Christ. You see, you don't give to a preacher. You don't give to a church. You give to God. And the amount of your generosity is what either ties God's hands or looses his hands to bless your life spiritually as well as in other ways. We have a world to reach, church, and we cannot say, I am his disciple if I cheat with God. Would you consider it today? If you give little, you will get little. I want you to get a lot. So give a lot. Open up the bowels of your heart in response to God's desire 
that he will pour out upon you a blessing you cannot even handle. Hallelujah. Wouldn't you like that? Then there's the way it works. May God bless this message and this great truth to your heart. It's God's unique way of blessing us. It's through our generosity and ability to reach out and give. Stand to your feet, please. My altar call will be very quick, very much to the point. If this message was for you, you want to practice these biblical principles and they haven't been a part of your life, maybe you've never been taught them, or maybe you've hardened your heart against them, but the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart this morning, I want you to come as we sing the chorus we sang earlier, give glory to God, church, and I know no better way than to be generous. I want you to come and stand here at this altar and let me pray for you. I want you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. When I think of what God has done for me, I marvel at his blessing and his ability to pour back far more than I can ever give. And I want you to know that blessing. Everybody, in the balcony there are stairways that lead to this floor here. Come, if you need this prayer, please come. Release God's hands to bless you. Start today. Make some commitments, some determinations that will bring God's blessing in abundance. Come as we sing.